Hello out there and welcome to the first episode of Friends Like Films in 2021. I'm Britt. And I'm Greg. And this is the podcast for you to hang out with us for a bit while we discuss a movie one or both of us loves. Um, How was your New Year's, Greg? Uneventful. (laughs) Uh, No, I just stayed home with my family. We didn't really do much. Uh, It was not very exciting. Yeah. (laughs) As I think most people's New Year's were. Hopefully, hopefully, if you're doing the right thing, it wasn't that eventful. Um, yeah, Colin, I stayed home as well. Um, got drunk on French 75s and there you call, go. called it a night. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, one thing, and I, I don't want to open up this podcast on like a, a downer note, but one thing that's been <laughs> really grinding my gears recently is not being able to see new releases in a movie theater. Um, For the past, I would say like six or seven years now, I've watched every Best Picture nominee at the Oscars before um, the the Oscar episode airs because I want to, you know, feel more invested in the category. And I'm usually, you know, I start preparing in like October and I read like what's getting early Oscar buzz and predictions and, by the time like January rolls around, I'm like pretty good. I've seen most of them. And this year, man, I haven't been able to do that. And it really bums me out. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I do enjoy being in the theater. We've talked about this before. We're like certain moments in like big movies where it's like nothing can really match being in a theater with all these people. But I don't know. I actually don't really go to the theater all that often when I think about it. Like, Yeah, both. you really don't. Yeah, I, I don't like I go I go for movies that are like really intense, like superhero movies, big, intense visuals or like sound, like things where I think being in the theater like that big experience is going to like add to it. But there's a lot of like, I don't know, quieter movies that I don't necessarily feel like I need to see it on a big screen. It's more about the content. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I understand that point of view. Uh, a lot of people share that sentiment. That's just not me. Um, a lot of the Oscar contenders are usually, you know, those smaller um, limited release films. They're usually shown in more like local art house theaters. And I end up just going alone, to be honest, um, which I like. It's really relaxing. But I know Nomadland is getting, that's like the Oscar darling right now. People keep saying that's absolutely going to be nominated. And right now, I mean, movie theaters around me are closed, so I couldn't go anyway. Um, Right. And it it is only in theaters right now where theaters are opened, which I'm like, who is going to the movie theater right now? Just do sure. they still have a do they still have a requirement that you have to be in theaters to be nominated like for they like do. at least somewhat of a run to I'm pretty so. sure they do. So, so I guess do it, do your limited, but then like a week later, like put it on, you know, VOD. Like why why do I have to wait till February to see this movie? I think there's probably some movies are hoping that the Oscar buzz will convince people to go see it. Like they're, they're being optimistic, hoping the theaters reopen, right? Like later in 2021 and that maybe the Oscar buzz will get people to go to see it after the fact. So So, like they'll do another release after the, yeah, Mm -hmm. I think you're going to see a little, a lot of that actually. Um, 
Definitely. Well, I mean, if it didn't get delayed totally, movies that like Tenet, for instance, that came out in theaters, like they're going to still want people to go to the theater and see Tenet. So they're going to try and do some kind of, I'm, I'm sure there'll be some kind of tricky marketing campaign. Yeah, that's a good point. Right now for uh, Oscar predictions for best picture, Variety re- updated theirs, I think two days ago. So let's see, let's see how I'm doing. And you can, I know you've seen some of these actually, at least one. Um, so their number one pick for best picture nominees, uh, it is Nomadland, like I just said. Um, not out for us common folk until February. Uh, the Trial of the Chicago 7. Liked it. I liked it as well. I finally watched it. <laughs> I think the last time we spoke, you had not seen it. Yet. I had not seen it yet. So you um, did like it. I did like it. It's yeah. on uh, Netflix for people that are interested. Sasha Baron Cohen always kind of like, I feel like I I know he's a good actor, but when I see him in a movie like that's not Borat or whatever, I'm like, su- I'm still surprised. Like, I'm still like, oh yeah, he's really good. Even though I know that he is like. I've you know? only seen him as Borat and Ali G. I can't, I'm trying to think if I've seen him do anything else. And I don't think I have. This was my first time seeing him in a different role. Uh, I'm missing something. Oh no. Off the top of my head, I'm thinking of all comedies too, but I know he's been in other things. Yeah. I mean, I, and he's like the one I always think of is Ricky Bobby with, uh, with Will Ferrell. He's the, uh, the, right. the, French, the French driver that everybody hates. <laughs> right. Right. He was incredible in the trial of the Chicago seven. He was probably my favorite part. Yeah. Yeah, he was great. Um, that's number two. Number three is Minari, which A24. I was I was able to watch that movie because I think it was one of the Boston local film festivals was doing virtual. And I was able to uh, get a virtual ticket for that. Highly recommend it. It's, um, it's a story about the American dream and how the American dream is for everybody. Uh, really good. Number four is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I still have not seen it, but I, that, that is available, though. I can see that. <laughs> you can see it. It's on Netflix. Um, Chadwick Boseman is probably yeah. going to get nominated. Yeah, he, it was his last film, or was there something else that he filmed after? I think this was the last one. I, I want to say it was, and I'm sorry, listeners, so I'm speaking out of turn, but I'm pretty sure it was. And mm-hmm. he's just he's just an absolute fo- force in this movie. It's incredible. Yeah, I know his last appearance as Black Panther is coming up, he did like a voice, a voiceover for one of the animated things that's coming up on Disney Plus. Okay. Um, but yeah, I think this was his last, last performance. And it's a, if there's a performance for him to leave us on, this this one was really incredible. Uh, number five, One Night in Miami, which comes out on Amazon Prime. So you can watch it safely at home January 15th. Mm-hmm. So depending on when we release this episode, that might have already passed. But yeah, <laughs> um, number six is The Father with Anthony Hopkins. I love Anthony Hopkins. I don't really know much about that movie, but I trust in him. So I sure I'm sure he picked a decent movie to be in. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I don't know when that one is going to be released for us to watch, but mm-hmm. um, it's on the list. Number seven is Mank. I still haven't watched it. I know I need to get to it. It's been out for way too long for me to not have seen it. I love Gary Oldman too. Yep. And you can watch it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So comfort of your own home again. Number eight is news of the world, which is a Tom Hanks, uh, starring role, uh, civil war. So yeah, they're going to nominate it for, an, for best picture. Maybe civil war, Tom Hanks. That's all you have to say. 
Yeah, exactly. Throw the nomination. Exactly. That's yeah. a shoe in. Um, number nine, a Netflix film as well, The Five Bloods. Ah, I did watch that. Another Chaz- Chadwick Boseman. Is it really? Yeah, he's not a star. Well, I, you know, I would say he kind of. But he's is. in it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Haven't good watched movie. it. Okay. Good movie about Vietnam. It's long, but it's a good movie. Spike, Spike Lee. Lee. Yeah. Yep. And number 10 comes out next week. Finally, I've been wanting to watch is Promising Young Woman, which um, Carrie Mulligan has been getting Oscar buzz for her role in that. Nice. Yeah, so. I have. There's. I've got a lot of movies left on that list to see. I don't know if I'll be able to get to them all, but uh, we'll see. They push, I know you You always try to see them all. I so. do. They push the Oscars this year, I think, until April, so we have a little bit more time. That's good. So um, uh, a contender that made it to, like, number 12 that I recently just watched and I loved was Sound of Metal with Riz Ahmed, who I love. Um, yeah, I... I recently opened up Amazon Prime. Like I feel I felt like I hadn't watched anything on Amazon Prime in a while. I was like, what's new on Amazon Prime? I feel like I don't even hear about it. And then I saw that sitting there and I was like, God, oh, that looks pretty good. Yes. Uh Riz Ahmed, he I mean, I remember him from his ro- his smaller role in HBO's Girls, where he gets Lena Dunham's character pregnant. Uh, but also he was in Rogue One, correct? Yeah, that sounds right. He was uh, the the driver for the for the ship, wasn't he? Like the the pilot that they like recruit. Yes. Yeah. Yes, he was. I was like, come on. Yep. And he was in that awesome mini series on HBO that I'm blanking on right now. <laughs> There's a few. <laughs> oh God, the night of. Oh, did you watch the uh, night of? No, I didn't. Oh, dude, it's so good. So I think that's when I first was introduced to Riz Ahmed was with The Night Of, and he was awesome. Him and John Turturro were just awesome. Yeah, guys. John Turturro is another underrated guy. Like, like I feel like he like he's always like people think of him in like comedy kid movies. Like he's in the Transformers movies. He's in Mr. Mr. Deeds. Yeah, like people always think of him in those kind of <laughs> roles, but he's also pretty good. I've seen him in a lot of good movies. Mm-hmm. Credit where credit is due for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have you been watching lately? Um, well, I watched The Queen's Gambit on Netflix, which I really liked. Did you watch it with the fam? I did. I pretty much watch everything with the fam. Did they like <laughs> it? Yeah, yeah, for background, I live with my family, anyone who's listening. <laughs> like many uh, people right now. Yeah, yeah. During the pandemic, I got out. I was living in New York City. My lease ended, and I figured I'd escape to the suburbs for a little while, so... We'll see. The living at home era might be ending soon. <laughs> well, maybe by next episode, we'll have an update. <laughs> Stay tuned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Queen's Gambit. I liked it. Um, I I kind of I had a rough idea of what it was about going in. Like I knew she was an addict. I knew it was about chess. Spoiler alert, by the way. And um, but like I I didn't get the sense that it was going to be such like a period piece of like the 60s. And that was really cool. Like, I think they did a really good job with all with the with the um, the costuming and the set design and like, I don't know, everything like the soundtrack. Yeah. I mean, even down to the down to the fact that the that the mom is like ordering old fashioned drinks like the Gibson. She orders a Gibson and they have like a whole thing about talking about it. And um, funny enough, they order a Gibson in the movie that we're talking about today in this episode. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. R- right for the times. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, loved Queen's Gambit. I I read after I watched it that actually Heath Ledger was supposed to have a hand in in this, and he was going to cast um, starred in Juno, Elliot Page. Elliot Page, yes. Yep. Um, currently starring in, do you know? Yes, in Umbrella Academy. Yeah, which I actually like. I mean, look, obviously, I feel like uh, everyone knows I'm like a sucker for superhero stuff. So anything nerdy. Um, and that's a really cool uh, show. I like it. The second season was really good. Yeah, I haven't watched it. I know. Written by Gerard Way, of all people. Right? Book. My yeah. Chemical Romance. Yeah. Email kids, turn up. Yeah, he wrote the comic book. Crazy. That's wild. So that's our little section of movie news, TV news, if you will. Yeah, so let's uh, let's move on to the movie of the episode, one of my personal favorites, an actual classic. And I mean, it's not even exaggerating to say it's an actual classic. Like it's pretty much consistently thought of as one of the best movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1959's North by Northwest, Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, Alfred Hitchcock. Um my introduction to Alfred Hitchcock is kind of funny. So, and Greg, I wouldn't be surprised if it's your introduction too. Um, we might have mentioned this before, but Greg and I are raised in Disney families. We went to Disney a lot uh, growing up. And when you go to Disney, you end up usually going to Universal Studios in Florida as well. And so my introduction to Alfred Hitchcock was the amazing, and and I miss it, it closed in 2003, but the Alfred Hitchcock, The Art of Making Movies exhibit at Universal Studios. Yeah, Universal is really, I mean, I still like it there. The Harry Potter world is great, but like, it's really changed over the years. Like Jaws is gone. Like, Mm -hmm. come on, Jaws was the best. Like that was like, that one hurt when I found out they were getting rid of the Jaws ride. And all the new rides they add are like, they're okay, but they're all, I feel like the same simulator ride. which what replaced the alfred hitchcock exhibit is shrek 4d yeah shrek franchise i actually like but i mean come on shrek 4d instead of alfred hitchcock is not really a come on you you gotta you gotta (laughs) educate the youths on the fathers of cinema um the youths are gonna find out about shrek anyway they are right (laughs) so um, in, in that exhibit, the Alfred Hitchcock exhibit, you, you know, you, you see like, um, some set designs from Alfred Hitchcock's films and, and you learn about him as a filmmaker and they had, uh, the Statue of Liberty from Saboteur and they, um, you could be a volunteer and they show you how they filmed that scene, which is, I want to say it's Jimmy Stewart. No, it's not uh-huh. Jimmy Stewart. Uh, I forget the actor but he falls off the Statue of Liberty and they, you can volunteer to like go up and like pseudo hang off of this. And they, they like film, they do the, the film technique to have it show it like you're falling hundreds of feet. And I remember yeah, being hey, Jimmy Stewart's good guess. Cause he's in like so many Hitchcock movies. Yeah, but I don't <laughs> think he's in Saboteur. Um, yeah. But I remember being a kid, I was probably like five and my dad was the volunteer for the, that part yeah. in the exhibit. And I thought it was so freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> So that was my intro to Hitchcock. Yeah, I I don't remember what my intro to Hitchcock was. Actually, you know what I think it was is I actually saw the Mel Brooks like parody of um, of Vertigo, which is called High Anxiety, which is hilarious. Um, but I had seen that 
before I saw any Hitchcock movies. And like, I didn't, I started, it was funny because it was Mel Brooks and it's always funny. Right. But I didn't get any of the references. And then when I saw Vertigo later, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I have to go back and watch High Anxiety again because I'm actually going to understand <laughs> all the jokes. Like, I think I was young when I saw it. I went on like, a, my dad really loves Mel Brooks. So like, I, like when I was young, I was watching all of those Mel Brooks movies and I finally understood all the references way later. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen High Anxiety. Uh, it's good. It's not one of, it's not considered like one of his best, but like he only made 12 movies. It's so, or, right. uh, yeah. so it's good. It's good. It's Mel Brooks. It's like really hard to, it's his brand of comedy. It's hard to not like it. Yeah. You know who didn't make just 12 movies? Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Well, we were, when I was doing, you know, writing notes for this episode, I went to his Wikipedia and looked at his filmography, obviously. And I thought I had seen like, I don't know, like a decent amount, but like, I'm not even close. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean, even just the list of Hitchcock movies that are considered to be top all time movies. I mean, like North by Northwest, The Birds, Vertigo, Psycho, Rear Window, like all like th that's top five right there that could be considered in the top 20 movies of all time. And they're just all, like Hitchcock movies. It's insane. Yeah. So Rear Window is my favorite Hitchcock movie. Mine is North by Northwest. <laughs> yeah. Rear Window's mine. Um, closely followed by Psycho, I think. Yeah, Psycho is just so iconic. I think Psycho is probably my second favorite as well. Because it, I mean, Vertigo too, but but Psycho is just, it's Psycho. I mean, it got remade and even the remake was a huge hit. Like, mm -hmm. And it was like almost shot for shot. <laughs> yeah. So North by Northwest, um, released in 1959 and written and directed by Hitchcock and Ernest Lemon. Am I saying that right? I think it's it's either Lehman or Lehman, but I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I actually tried to look up how it was how it was pronounced and I did, couldn't find a definitive <laughs> answer. I, mm -hmm. I I don't know how to read that text on Wikipedia where it like tells you how to pronounce things. I don't know what any of that means. It looks like a foreign language to me. So I I will never learn how to pronounce something from that. No, sometimes I go to YouTube and type in a person's name and I hope there's like an interview where they introduce the person and I'm like, ah, that's how you say it. Yeah. Ernest Lehman. I don't, I didn't, I don't know much about him, honestly. Um, Me either. I, I, I know that he and Hitchcock were paired to work on another movie um, by MGM and that like when they met each other, they very quickly realized they didn't, that this wasn't going to like that, whatever that movie was, they were, it wasn't going to work out. And they immediately started like hatching this plan for North by Northwest. They ended up both quitting that movie and leaving to go make this. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's an interesting little story. Yeah. I felt so strongly about this idea for this movie. And it all actually started from the Hitchcock had this idea of the chase at the end um, where uh, at Mount Rushmore. And it's like this iconic scene. And it's, it's one of many scenes in north by northwest where like as you're watching it you're seeing all these scenes and you're like they seem like the first time you see this movie you're like everything seems very familiar it's because these iconic scenes from this movie have been like parodied and and there's been homages to them in so many other movies that you're like you're seeing the source of it and you're like oh wait a minute have i actually seen this movie before but you haven't <laughs> no i had a couple of those moments i mean the the one of the one of those scenes in north by northwest is the the plane scene um, yeah, yeah with the plane in the cornfield. The plane in the cornfield, and I, I've seen I've seen that scene highlighted in you know greatest movies of all time countdowns and whatever. But um, 
also kind of like paid homage to in other movies in different ways like that. Um, so yeah, I have those moments where it's like, oh, this movie feels so familiar to me, even though I'm watching it for the first time. Yeah. I mean, even when, um, when Cary Grant and, um, and even Marie Saint, when they first meet each other on the train, like even that scene where they're like talking to each other in the, in the restaurant on the train, like everything, it all just seems so familiar the first time you've seen it. And it's because people just reference this, this, this Hitchcock movie in particular, I feel like it's referenced all the time and people don't, don't realize, I guess. Yeah. Let's talk about the casting. Absolutely. So you have Cary Grant as the star. Yeah, which at the time was a little bit controversial when they chose him because of his age. Um, they wanted like the character was supposed to be like, uh, you know, guy in his prime. Okay. Like, and and so actually they were supposed to pick. Well, MGM wanted Jimmy Stewart to be the star. <laughs> and he had previously worked with Hitchcock on a bunch mm-hmm. of movies. And it was like, surefire, this is going to work. Stewart and Hitchcock. And Hitchcock said, no, I don't want him. He's too old. Yeah. And yeah, which strange, right? And they tried a couple other guys and they ended up landing on Cary Grant, who's older. Really? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm looking right now. Cary Grant was born in 1904. So old as he was, he was 55 when they filmed, maybe 54. Yeah. Yeah. And he's playing a character, I think, that's in his 30s. Huh. And and there was criticism when the movie came out. Um, I've read that that he looked too old. But like it was like a Hitchcock executive decision that he wanted somebody who looked younger, and he t- then still chose Cary Grant, <laughs> oh, <laughs> who wow. was great in the movie. To be fair, and he's a and he's a legend. So he, and he was great, but just funny that that was yeah. like like even Hitchcock can make some baffling decisions. Yeah, I mean he's a baffling guy for sure. <laughs> um, so Ava Marie Saint, I guess you would say, is the other lead in this movie. Yeah, um, yeah, and she uh, is. Also a legend in her own right. She won an Oscar Best Supporting Actress for On the Waterfront, another classic movie. Um, just been around Hollywood forever. Mm-hmm. Still alive, still kicking. Good mm-hmm. for her. She's like one of the last living um, actresses from the gold, that golden age of Hollywood. Yeah, and I think she's one of the, maybe the oldest surviving like Academy Award winner. Don't quote me on that. Wow. Yeah. Like, What's oldest. her secret? I don't know. Star in good movies. <laughs> <laughs> Make a lot of money. I hope. I hope she did. Me too. Yeah. Hope she did too. Um, so I, I was going to say, and I, I, I don't know when you want me to reveal what I thought of this movie. Well, well, let's get into it in a second because I want to talk some more about the cast. There's two other people that I really want to mention, which is James Mason, who was the bad guy Van Dam. And <laughs> also, also, what a great name for the bad yeah, guy. Van Dam. Yeah, great. <laughs> I mean, nowadays, anybody, if you're Van Damme, you think Jean-Claude Van Damme, but like this was not, Jean-Claude Van Damme was not even born, I don't think. Actually, maybe he was, but he wasn't famous. Yeah. And um, yeah, great, great bad guy name, great performance as the bad guy. He's like super creep and like, uh, yeah, and it's just, mm-hmm. just good. And James Mason is like pretty legendary on his own. I mean, he was in Julius Caesar. He played Brutus. He was in 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. He played Captain Nemo. Like he was a star right? and it was cool to see him play a bad guy. Yeah. Um, and then you had Martin Lando as Leonard. Yeah, yeah. Martin Lando, who was he I wouldn't say he was as famous as the rest of the people, but this was like early he was very young here. So it's like anybody who knows who he is and you see him there, you're like, oh wow, young Martin Lando. But he was on the original Mission Impossible TV show. Um, and then like 
younger people probably know him from he was when he was an old man already he was on entourage he played like the the washed up movie producer bob Bryan. <laughs> um and he was obviously in a ton of movies in between i think he won an oscar at some point i don't know for what but he is an oscar winner as well so lots of heavy hitters in this movie yeah um when i was doing my research for this episode I you hear stories about actors and actresses that have worked with Hitchcock and how it, it's a like a freaking nightmare um, at times. You always hear the story about the birds and how he like tortured. Yeah. And his female stars in particular. Right. I didn't see anything like that related to North by Northwest, thankfully. Um, yeah. Um, the only the only anecdote that I came across was actually Martin Landau complaining that Hitchcock wasn't giving him notes and he was like pulling everybody else aside and like giving them direction and not him. And then I guess Hitchcock had to like, there had to be like a meeting between him and Hitchcock where Hitchcock was like, no, 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 if I'm not giving you notes, it's because you're perfect. Like, and, and he was like, oh, okay, never mind. Oh, great. <laughs> I I'm perfect. Never mind. About, <laughs> take back everything I said about Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, so this film takes place, it was released in 59, and I, I believe it takes place in, in present day 1959. Yeah, yeah 59. Yeah, New York. Um, the movie opens, first it opens with the credits, and you don't get stylized credits these days, I think, like right. you got for this film. Right. And coincidentally, this film is actually considered to be one of the first that used like the like animated text like that in the beginning. Like like previously, you can, if you've seen like really old timey movies, like think Gone with the Wind, where like the title cards just like pop up and then fade away and they go to the next one. They, this is the first one that had like words coming up from the bottom of the screen. And they had that like cool graphic where it like morphs into the windows of the building. And so this was like pretty revolutionary just from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. I, I was taking some notes while watching it because it was my first time. And one of my first notes was typography and opening credits, thumbs up. Like yeah, immediately yeah. I was like, this, this is dope. And yeah, m- most, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the actual, determination is but a lot of people consider that to be one the fir- one of the first major instances of that of those like words flying in from the side and like animated words like that mm-hmm. uh opens on the streets of new york and those streets are stupid crowded yeah and in any year <laughs> but 2020 they're still like that <laughs> you're in you're a new york native so you know more than me um it depends but- where in the city but yeah there's a lot of hustle and bustle yeah I was like, this man is just trying to get to the bar right now. And he's like, there's so many people. Yeah. It wasn't anything that they did on purpose when they were making this movie. But I love just like the little 1950s. It's almost like a period piece, even though it wasn't. It was made in the 50s. But like, I love just like the little things of like how they do things differently, how they have like the bellhop come get the suit. And like, I mean, people still do that. But like, you know, it's like very different. Not, not us peasants. Yeah, know. like the way customer service worked and the way like you like the way they deal with the hotel staff and the way the tra- like the traveling by train and all that. It was like kind of uh, nostalgic in a way, even though I never lived there then. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Um, when you're at a restaurant or a bar and you like ask for a telephone. Yeah, boy. Yeah. <laughs> boy, telephone, please. Yeah. yeah. With him calling for the boy ultimately caused the whole plot of the movie because. Yes. Which, which really is. The plot of the movie, which is he gets Cary Grant's character, Roger Thornhill, gets mistaken for a secret agent. <laughs> um, the bad guys are trying to find they think this agent is on their tail. 
Um, and they think, so they, they page him at the front of the restaurant, George Kaplan, George Kaplan. And then right at the same time that they're paging George Kaplan, Roger Thornhill turns and goes, Hey, I need the phone. And that causes the entire misunderstanding that leads to the plot of North by Northwest. Yes. <laughs> I was happy to see that the main plot kind of kicked off right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I also like in in a very Hitchcock way that the, it kicks off right away, but you also don't fully understand what's happening until they have this like interlude scene where they're at like CIA headquarters or whatever. And they have the five like higher, higher ups at the CIA sitting around and they're like, ex- they have to literally sit down and explain what's happening. Cause like even Hitchcock knows this is like a very convoluted story. <laughs> like this guy, <laughs> yeah. so they're sitting around and they're like, okay, so by the way, this guy, George Kaplan, this spy doesn't actually exist. He's a fake person we were using to like fake out the bad guy. And now they think that this, now they think he's real and they think Roger Thornhill is him. <laughs> right. Right. Which is yeah. very smart. Um, I can't say that I'm, well-versed in spy movies from the fifties and sixties. I mean, I've seen, you know, a couple bond movies, um, which this is considered this film North by Northwest is considered like the, you know, predecessor for those and, yeah. and inspiration for those kind of those bond films. Yeah. I don't know who said it, but that's like a famous quote about the movie is that it's the first, the first James Bond movie because it was yeah. like a precursor to like that, like that spy, um, like, spy action type movie and like the leading man the leading lady like the 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 snappy dialogue the bright colors the set pieces like it kind of it's almost it almost is like an action movie before there were action movies yeah yeah and let's talk about so if this is considered like the first james bond movie let's talk about cary grant even though he was considered old for this role let's talk about him turning on that swag for this role wearing that suit Having those like snippy dialogue, sexy conversations on the train. So I was expecting you to have a problem with the way he was talking on the train. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think because I feel like the a lot of the stuff he was saying, he would it would not fly these days. Oh, absolutely would not fly these days. But this movie was made but in also, 1959. She was, she was like, you know. She was giving it back. Like, yeah. she was well, it turns out she was there with a purpose. But like, yeah, she was like, we're sleeping together. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is happening. Yeah. Um. Oh, what, what's a, what's a good, what's one of that good quote? Um, yeah. So one of her lines in the dining car seduction scene was redubbed. So I'll read it. I'll read it out for you listeners. So uh, Ava Marie Saint's original line was, I never make love on an empty stomach, but it was changed in post-production to, I never discuss love on an empty stomach because censors at the time were so, um, rigid yeah yeah that was a little too risque i guess yes um but yeah she was giving it right back to him and i i liked it i liked the the snippy dialogue um i liked that cary grant wore one suit the entire movie yeah <laughs> which is yeah. now considered iconic yeah that suit's been through a lot <laughs> yeah he he did he he got it cleaned he did get it clean one yeah, time at one point, the movie. they he has uh it, or he, yeah, they get to Chicago or whatever, and they're in. He goes to her hotel room, and this is after he finds out. Well, we should have made, maybe we should have given a spoiler alert earlier. We already spoiled the beginning of the movie, but basically, she's the actual secret agent. <laughs> yes. She's the actual secret agent. She's in with Van Dam, the bad guy, and just the whole George Kaplan thing was an invention to throw Van Dam off the scent of her. Um, 
So he finds out that she works for Van Damme and he doesn't know yet that she's a secret agent. So he's all pissed off. He's like, you betrayed me. You set me up to get killed. And uh, and then he convinces her to have dinner somehow. <laughs> I'm not really clear on the on the on the events. But yeah. Uh, yeah, he comes back. He's all like dusty because he got sent out to a cornfield where a plane like went after him. And um, and she's like, well, if we're going to go to dinner, you better get that suit washed. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I don't care if you almost got killed by a plane. Like you look like trash. and You need to wash your suit before we go to dinner. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, OK. Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like listeners were jumping all around the plot of this film, but we don't want to map it all out for you from beginning to end because that's just not fun. Nobody yeah. wants to hear that. Yeah, if you haven't seen the movie, you absolutely should. Just I mean, if you're if you're just a film fan, you should see. I mean, regardless of whether or not you think you're going to like it, it's like one of those movies that's worth watching just for the sake of seeing a classic film. Mm-hmm. Um, but on that topic, Britt, did you actually like the movie? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I <Nice>. did. <laughs> um, when and we talked about this before we were, we were texting about um, this doing this episode and classic movies can be really hit or miss. Um, I've watched quite a few that have been on those best, you know, movies of all time lists. And I, I, many of them I left being very underwhelmed. Um, Cinema movies were just different. They were made different back then, but I felt like this one really holds up the story, the, the dialogue, the acting, the acting back then was different, but I feel like the acting here, you know, still holds up today for me. So, yeah, I think there's also been a trend like with shows like Queen Ga- Queen's Gambit, like we were saying earlier, where like period pieces are like are in right now. You know what I mean? So I think people are right now, if you want to go back and watch classic movies, there's probably people are more willing to accept like the the dialogue and like the way people behave and like the gender roles and like things that were different then. And it's not to all totally acceptable, but like people with the popularity of period pieces and things like that, people are more willing to accept that it's fiction. And you know what I mean? Even though back then it kind of was like that, which is not great, but yeah. Yes. And no, I think a period piece right now is very much adapted for 21st century so you're gonna get period pieces that are not true to the period if they're released now do you know what i mean like you're not gonna get i feel like you're not gonna get the the men talking to the women in those right Right. well let's keep using queen's gambit as the as the example she ends up playing the russian champion spoiler Mm -hmm. alert and uh like and they even make a show of the fact that the russian women weren't allowed in that tournament Right, which that might have been accurate, but in real in real life, she probably wouldn't have been allowed in that tournament either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so I think if you if you tell people if you love period pieces, you will love North by Northwest. I I, I can't yeah, okay. say that's, that's accurate. Fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, but I, I I did I I think the like I said I thought the acting wasn't um wasn't stale i feel like some acting depending on the movies you watch from the 40s and and some of the 50s can be just underwhelming it felt like this one was good um cinematography was was amazing and groundbreaking for the time 
So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of we've already talked about a few scenes, but there's a lot of like even individual shots, which are amazing. Like I, I love the one when he is coming out of the UN building and it's that like overhead shot looking mm-hmm. down and you see him like walking like an ant out to like the cab and like running in and getting in the car and going away. Um, I, don't, I don't know how how they did it. Um, I I've, I've maybe should have looked it up for this episode. It would have been a nice fact to have. But um, <laughs> Like it doesn't it doesn't look re- it doesn't look real real but it, like at the time that's like, extremely impressive that they were able to make it look as real as it did. Um, yep. And like all the sh- all the stuff with Mount Rushmore like they obviously didn't actually film at Mount Rushmore so like you know the fact that they were able to recreate it faithfully enough that like it does suspend like you know it it you're there like you feel like it's actually the I felt like they were actually filming there like if somebody told me they actually did film there I might believe it I mean not not all of it but like you know yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. It's like it's little details like that that make it a movie you a 1959 movie you watch now in 2021, and you're like, this doesn't feel that dated to me. Yeah, another part of it that I really loved that I hadn't really. I think I maybe maybe paid more attention to it this time because I knew we were doing an episode and I was trying to be a little more analytic. But um, the the score, um, Bernard Herrmann did the score and. I mean, I knew that he was like a Hitchcock guy. Like he did Psycho, he did Vertigo. He also worked with Orson Welles a lot. He did Citizen Kane. Later on, he did Taxi Driver. I mean, this, um, so he's done a ton of movies. And I really like tried to pay attention a little bit to what like there was some slower parts in this movie, and which I actually liked. I mean, slower pacing can work in a lot of ways. And um, like the scores, scores for movies back then were just a little different. You know what I mean? Like the the music really was a bigger part of it. I feel like for absolutely back in the day um it really sets the mood like i think about when he was driving in the car when they they set him up to be drunk and they they put him in the car like the music was like really setting the mood there and like when he's um when he's just like sneaking around and i don't know there's like a lot of moments where i was like wow the music's really getting it done Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it it's like a a second character in those scenes yeah absolutely for sure um, the, tra- I will say the train tunnel ending, I was like, oh, it's, o- oh, oh, it's just over. <laughs> well, yeah, that, yeah, it, it <laughs> yeah, it's just over. But also they caught a lot of flack for that because they, because people thought it was like an obvious reference to the two of them having sex on the train. They are both in bed together in the train. And then it's yeah. like, oh, come here, Mrs. Mrs. Thornhill, like uh, climb in bed. And then you see uh-huh. a train entering a tunnel. Oh, so like P and Vigil. Quote unquote. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I didn't get yeah. that. They caught flack for that, I guess, in 1959. That was too obvious. Like, l- literally, the act of the train entering the tunnel to them was sexual. Innuendo. Yeah. I didn't get that. Wow. Yeah, these were wild. Free spirited 60s had not happened yet. No. <laughs> wow. No, I didn't get that at all. My thought was, oh, wow, we're just done. It was like the end. Yeah, the part that I find found not jarring, maybe jarring is the right word, but like when they're at the very end, they're like hanging off of Mount Rushmore and you don't know whether or not they're going to survive. And then he like pulls her up and he's like, here we go. And then they're on the train and it's yeah, like, oh, 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 I guess they, I guess they got out. Yeah. Like Hitchcock's <laughs> like, okay, we're, we're at two hours and 12 minutes at this point. Let, let's just wrap it up. Let's just. Yeah. Yeah. One, one criticism of this movie I, that I've read that, I mean, look, it's it doesn't really take a lot away from the movie, but it actually makes a little bit of sense is that it felt like a series of like that Hitchcock had an idea for like various 
like cool scenes that he couldn't that he couldn't fit into all his other movies and he was like well let's just like make a movie where it's like cool hitchcock scene followed by a cool hitchcock scene followed by a cool Hitchcock, and it was just like a series of like interesting shots and interesting like little like ideas that he had and then they just like fit this spy story around it and i was like "Eh." i mean i didn't really get that but i could see why somebody might think that because it really is like hit after hit of like iconic crazy scenes yeah i i I didn't get that either no i thought the story that they i mean if they did that and they shoehorned a story around those scenes then i think they did a great job yeah considering uh rotten tomatoes is means really nothing, but it has a 99% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and it uh, picked up some Oscar nominations. So three got best film editing, uh, best art direction and best original screenplay. Mm -hmm. Um, It didn't win any, but um, it was up against Ben-Hur, another one that's considered one of the best movies of all time. Although that one, I think, doesn't hold up as much. I don't know if you've ever seen the original Ben-Hur. I've never seen the original Ben-Hur. It's a it's an interesting story. Uh-huh. It's like about it takes place in uh, like the time of Jesus, basically in Israel, and it's about this uh, a Jew named Ben Hur who like runs afoul of the Romans and like gets sent to slavery, and uh, then comes back and like has this whole revenge story against the Romans. And I think he actually encounters Jesus at one point, like Jesus, who's just um you know around at that time because it happens like while he's while he's being Jesus, you know. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty iconic movie. And that also was very famous for like cinematography. They have that like famous chariot race around at the end. Right. I think, oh God. And if there's any Scorsese, like major encyclopedia fans listening and I get this wrong, I want to say this is like one of Scorsese's like favorite movies of all time. North by Northwest? No, Ben-Hur. <laughs> Ben-Hur. Yeah, well, it's a lot of people's favorite. I mean, it's Ben-Hur is also considered to be one of the best movies of all time, which is originally why I brought it up is to explain why North by Northwest didn't win these Oscars. Because right. three, Ben-Hur won them. Yeah, no, wait. I think Lawrence of Arabia might be Scorsese's favorite movie of all time. Another classic. I love Lawrence of Arabia, too. Ben-Hur is three hours and 44 minutes long, so I can't see myself watching that anytime soon. No, North by Northwest isn't short either, I think. Isn't it over two hours? It's like two hours and 16 minutes. Yeah. And but, Lawrence of Arabia is longer than both of them, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> oh, my God. What, yeah. I, I guess people didn't have much to do back, back then, right? I mean, Lawrence of Arabia is like the definition of like an epic movie. People use it like as the case study yeah. in epics. <laughs> It's three hours and 48 minutes. So, yes, it's yeah. longer. It has an intermission. Like, if you have an intermission, you're a long-ass movie. So long. <laughs> give, give me a tight hour 45. Yeah. yeah. Well, depends. Depends on the movie. Okay. Like, I wouldn't cut, I mean, extended edition Lord of the Rings for life. Like, I'm sitting down for, like, 17 hours and watching all of them. I know. I know. <laughs> we got nothing else to do, right? We're in month 10 of the pandemic so yeah just just watch lawrence of arabia on loop until this is all over (laughs) um (laughs) yeah lawrence of arabia i was skeptical about that one because i felt like it was going to be too too old school but um that's also i mean it really ends up being like a war movie right it's a war Mm -hmm. movie so there's fighting and things like that but the just the cinema like the cinematography Mm -hmm. in that movie alone is like it's like mind blowing shot after mind blowing shot in the desert, like these huge, like 
uh, panoramic views and like there's just great scenes like camel charges like because it was all like during um, I think World War One and okay. uh, and um, yeah that one I mean even more than North by Northwest I think the cinematography for that is like that's some of the best cinematography ever Lawrence of Arabia yeah. I don't think that's a very controversial thing of me to say that's pretty much everyone agrees so you're uh, not you're not gonna get hate comments for this yeah the Lawrence Lawrence of Arabia haters aren't gonna come for me I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> You never know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that concludes our North by Northwest episode. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there were any other like interesting factoids I had. Um, no. One cool thing I remember is that when uh, there's like this, I just thought it was like a cool thing that Hitchcock included is that there's a part at the end where Van Damme says the plane's leaving in 10 minutes. And then from the point he says that to the point that you see the plane on the runway is actually 10 minutes real time. Really? Yeah. And it's like him sneaking into the house to warn her that they know about her. And um, yeah, actually 10 minutes. So I, I love that. Cool. Yeah. It's like a nifty little thing. Yeah. There's definitely been times in TV shows or movies where the character is like, oh, we only have you know, five minutes and then yeah, five minutes till the bomb explodes and it's yeah. like a 15 minute sequence. And you're like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Or even worse when they do like a 30 second countdown and it's like, wait a minute, I have to call my guy and like have a conversation over here and like <laughs> tell my mom I love her and like go this way. <laughs> you're like, dude, you have 30 seconds. Yeah. It's you're like, like one thing. Gruber. It's like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but not ironic. <laughs> yeah. Alfred Hitchcock was having none of that. He's like, when I, in my script, I say 10, it's going to be 10. Yeah. Um, all right. So that's North by Northwest. Um, one of my favorites. I'm really glad you liked it. I was worried that you weren't going to. I thought like it was going to be one of those old movies that didn't translate. There was a good chance uh, that would be the case, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. Some movies are classics for a reason. <laughs> exactly. You hear that listeners? Today you learned something. Respect the classics, man. Respect them like heavyweights. Yeah, definitely like heavyweights. <laughs> <laughs> so next, uh, our next episode, we are not going to do a classic. We are actually, since... Um, maybe it, it'll become a classic. Who knows? Maybe. Um, we are going to do a new release since it is, you know, it is Oscar movie season, which it doesn't feel like it. But we'll be doing One Night in Miami. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned it. It's one of the potential, you know, big Oscar movies coming up. Neither of us has seen it. It's obviously not out yet. Um, but yeah, we've got some work to do on that Oscar list. So this is a good way to get it done. We'll uh, watch it. We'll do an episode about it. It's going to be fun. I'm excited. I'm excited about the premise of this movie. It looks it looks really good. Yes. So um, little uh, uh, teaser for you guys. If you don't know what One Night in Miami is about, it's based on um, a real night that happened in Miami. Uh-huh. Um, with Muhammad Ali, Sam Cooke, um, Malcolm Jim X, Brown. Yeah. Malcolm and Jim X. Brown. Yeah. yeah. Um, and they were just kind of talking, like, I think the idea is they're having this conversation about being a black man in America at that time. Mm -hmm. So for uh, Amazing Minds in One Room, it actually happened, and that's what the movie's about. So that will be our next episode. If yeah. You, um, if you like what you heard today about north by northwest please uh rate and subscribe you can find us on instagram and twitter at friends like films and you can also email us if you want at friends like films at gmail.com yeah thanks for listening everybody uh looking forward to next episode bye
Bye.